Good morning. So in the middle of this crazy week that I just had, um, when my mother came down, we had a conversation that was the impetus for this lesson, sermon. And uh, even though I had been planning something else, I shifted gears and did something entirely new this week. Um, when I picked her up from the airport, we were talking and she told me this story. Um, it was in 1980 and it was before I was born and my mom and my dad, who were fairly new Christians at the time, were at a church and uh, and um, during the service, a lot of churches will do, will play music when they take offering. Um, it's something that we don't do here. But they, while the woman was playing the piano, my mom was listening to the music and was taken with how beautiful the music was. And she couldn't really place the song. It didn't strike her as a hymn. She couldn't figure out what it was. But she was wrapped up in the music and really enjoying it. And um, as it was ending, it suddenly dawned on her it was the song Rainbow Connection um, by Paul Williams. And um, being the devout, conservative, new Christian that she was, after the service was over, she immediately went to the pastor and ratted the woman out. Um, for playing a humanist song in the middle of church, um, which, much to my mom's chagrin now, um, she kind of tells the story with a lot of embarrassment. Um, A reason why this struck me so strongly was that for the past couple of years, this song has been pretty much on repeat in our house. Um, First, because Laura and I love it so much, there was a resurgence of the song when they rebooted the Muppet franchise in 2011 and they released a lot of the Muppet songs that had been re-recorded by new artists and one of the things when you kind of hear a new arrangement of a song you've heard your entire life is that uh, you pay a little bit more attention to the lyrics because it's slightly different than what you're used to hearing and um, Laura and I both really fell in love with this song even more than we already were Um, and then when Lucy came along (laughs) um, it was even worse Um, on the way down to get my mother from the airport which was a 40 minute drive it was literally played back to back on loop the entire way down so this song has just been a permanent fixture in my life and it's a song that uh, not only do I enjoy because of the music um, but I am incredibly taken with the lyrics and have found them very meaningful so the fact that um, in my family history is this event of uh, (laughs) ratting somebody out for playing the song during church um, because it's not a strictly Christian song was, um, was kind of funny to me um, it's interesting when you look at the song I'm not going to go much into Paul Williams I don't know a whole lot about him other than the, the basic research that I've done for this but it is interesting when you look at his career um, in the 60s and 70s he was apparently quite the personality though to my generation he's largely forgotten unless you're a Muppets fan he wrote the um, theme song for The Love Boat he wrote hit songs for Three Dog Night, David Bowie, and The Carpenters, including um, Old Fashioned Love Song, which is a, a huge hit. Um, he won a Grammy and an Oscar for the theme song from the movie A Star is Born with Barbara Streisand. And he's just acted in numerous movies and television shows, including Smokey and the Bandit. And through the 60s and 70s, he was on every variety talk show imaginable. Um, and I say all that to say this, like, as an artist... 
as a struggling artist to have a career that's like a tenth as successful as his would be huge, right? And he's done these incredible things. Yet in an interview in, in 2013, he went on, I th- uh, no, I don't think it was 2013, it was a little earlier, but he went on record as saying that the work that he did with the Muppets was the most important work that he had done in his life, which considering where his career has gone is a pretty bold statement. Um, and it's actually something that I would tend to agree with. Um, so while I will bring in Bible verses, because this is church, my, the main text of this talk um, will be the song itself, uh, which may seem a little silly, but stick with me to the end. Um, and it's also an attempt to kind of clear my family name. Um, of all the kind of humanist pop songs in the 60s and 70s. It's ironic that my mom chose to crack down on this song because uh, it's actually loaded with um, philosophy and theology and lots of meaning. Um, I'm sure you all know the lyrics. I didn't have a printer, so I couldn't print them out for you. So I'll try and be clear as to when I'm speaking, which are actual lyrics of the song. <clears throat> I'm going to kind of go through it line by line. Um, One of the things that you'll see as you go through the song is that it begins, each section of verses um, begins with a question. And as you go through, you actually see a progression of questions which lead through a progression of of thought. Um, Interestingly enough, the first question is why. The first line is, why are there so many songs about rainbows and what's on the other side? I, I would argue that the fact that William starts with the why question is actually something that is very basic to us as people, right? The question why leads to beautiful discovery in the sciences. It can lead to pain, like in the Garden of Eden, and led to a lot of trouble. It's something that is basic um, and it's primal. And as uh, a writer, keeping in mind that this particular song was written specifically for the Muppet movie, and the fact that these are the first words that are spoken by the main character and also heard in the movie, period, that as an artist, those first words are incredibly important. Um, I would argue that most elements in stories of a certain caliber, every single element should matter on a thematic level, but particularly things that happen at the beginning, that happen at the end, happen at the midpoint, and in act breaks, those parts tend to be um, not arbitrary, even if they were conceived by the artist on a whim or using, or using intuition, intuition when you tend to go back and study the artifact as a whole, it's those moments that tend to have um, a value to them that, is, that has meaning and is, and is important to the thesis of the whole piece. Um, in an interview with Williams, he claimed that the opening song was conceived simply by sitting down with his co-writer and thinking, what would a frog know about? <laughs> um, if you remember the movie, it opens with Kermit by himself in a swamp, and they simply went, well, there's lots of water in a swamp, so there'd be mist, there'd be you know, uh, humidity in the air. Um, since it's a bog, he would see rainbows. Um, and in this way, it's kind of interesting. I think that the imagery of... Uh, the swamp and the ooze is very primal to us as well. If you look at it from a scientific standpoint, everybody says we came from water, we came from this primordial muck. Um, And I really do think that he's hitting on a lot of myth here, not just because of that, um, but because 
in this hero's journey, which happens in this movie, Kermit goes on a hero's journey, um, the moment when he is called to adventure um, is both him... When he's called to adventure on his internal journey, from the lyrics of the song, you see that he's pondering this idea of rainbows, right? And what's beyond them, right? So uh, both on an internal level, He's, he's pondering this, but then also it, it manifests itself physically in the story where by singing about it, um, if you remember, Dom DeLuise comes by in the boat and he happens to be a Hollywood agent. I know this all sounds ridiculous um, and I know it's a very silly kids movie, but it, it honestly, I, I really do think it, it is, does have meaning to it. Um, he hears Kermit singing and it's that which actually physically pulls Kermit out of the swamp, right? So taking those two things in mind, it begs the question, why rainbows? Obviously, Williams says that he picked it simply by thinking what would be seen in the environment. So there's practical reasons at play. But if you really think about it, a rainbow is, is just loaded with, with, with mythic baggage from our history. Um, in Greek myth, Iris wrote a rainbow to, to, to deliver messages from the gods, right? So that's the Greeks. Um, in a lot of Aboriginal cultures, they believe the, believed at least that the rainbows were giant snakes. Um, that when they came out of their burrows and were in the sky, uh, rain came, brought fertility, blessings on humanity. When the rainbows went, the snake went back into the ground and disappeared. That was famine, that was drought, and that was a, a condemnation um, on humanity. Um, in Sumerian myth, the rainbow is a divine sanction for war. That contracts with the Christian myth of, of Noah, where the rainbow is a divine promise not to be destroyed again, at least by water. Um, and to me, the most notable one is that in Norse myth, the rainbow is a bridge that connects the land of man to the land of gods. It's a literal rainbow connection, and only the righteous can traverse it, be they, be they gods or righteous men, warriors. So if you have that in mind, these simple little words of a puppet in a family film have a very heavy artistic weight um, to it. Um, I would even argue that given where the song goes, calling in the spiritual nature of this, what rainbows actually mean, um, that one could argue that if you're asking what is on the other side of the rainbow, you're in, to a certain degree asking what is on the other side of the veil, what is on the other side of death, right? Death is the ending point of every journey. It's where every man comes face to face with the gods. Again, connecting back to Norse myth. Um, The next line backs this up. The next line of the song is, Rainbows are visions, but only illusions, and rainbows have nothing to hide. This sets up the second theme that we see throughout the song, which is the theme of doubt. Um, the first line asks a very searching question. It's not just asking what rainbows are or anything. It's asking why are we singing about them? Why do artists create art about them? Why do they haunt our minds? Why do they keep coming up? And the next line is, from a certain point of view, a counter-argument of that. Rainbows are visions, but they are only illusions. They have nothing to hide. Um, they are nothing more than light refracted through water. They don't, you know, like you could make an argument that this is the physical, practical, literal side of modern man, maybe deconstructing spiritualism, deconstructing religion, right? 
This is essentially another and uh, the other side of the argument. And you'll see that throughout this entire song, every declarative statement and every little um, <clears throat> hopeful thing that Kermit says is always, there's always a counterpoint of doubt regarding it, oftentimes going hand in hand. The next line of the song is, so we've been told and some choose to believe it. I know they're wrong. Wait and see. Um, where the first expression of doubt says that maybe rainbows just are physical, are just these illusions, and there is not a secret meaning to them. This next line then brings it back the other way with an expression of faith. He says, I know they're wrong. Wait and see. It's a powerful statement. It's a declarative statement. It's kind of a shout into the void. Um, and it's interesting that it stands alone without any supporting evidence. The song does not say, here is why. All Kermit says is, we've been told, and some other people choose to believe it, but I know they're wrong. Wait and see. But he doesn't explain why, which is, um, I think, a key indicator, or a, a, a key factor in the fact that it is um, representative of faith. This carries into the chorus, which is the first time we hear it three times throughout the song. And the chorus is, Someday we'll find it, the rainbow connection, the lovers, the dreamers, and me. The thing that I love about this line so much is that it perfectly blends the two sides of the theme, assurance and doubt. Someday has a connotation of being unsure, right? Somebody asks you, we were talking with Damon today about deadlines in um, the academic world, you know, and, and, and certainly this exists to a degree, but it's very rare that in the workplace, you know, somebody asks you when you'll have something done and you'll say someday, you know, whatever, it's open-ended. This is a, a very open-ended statement. And it's interesting because if he's talking about these big grand things here, this rainbow connection, humanity will figure out what this is, this obsession with rainbows. The lovers and the dreamers in me will figure it out someday. I mean, if you're talking about humanity, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of years. So it's this powerful declarative statement that, again, is coupled with almost offhanded terminology like someday. So again, it's that, that balance of, of assurance and doubt. It's also beautifully phrased. The lovers and the dreamers will provide the ultimate answer, um, which is understandable considering um, this was written by an artist. Um, also, the use of me, lovers and dreamers and me, um, gives, is, is a very personal touch, which we'll see later um, will we'll come into play. The second set of verses begins with this line. Who said that every wish would be heard and answered when wished on a morning star? In the original recording, given the needs of the story, Kermit is singing the song by himself. And you could argue that what is going on is a battle of two parts of his psyche, right? He believes something, but there is doubt, but he still chooses to believe, and he's kind of going back and forth between the two. In a lot of modern recordings of this song, <clears throat> the first set of verses is sung by one person. The second set is sung by somebody else, both alone, and then later on the song becomes a duet. And I find this uh, really kind of great and a great, great way to do it because if you really look at this next set of verses here where the first set definitely calls things into question and has an element of doubt, um, it's always coupled with 
an element of faith where this next set tends to have a much more cynical tone. It begins with who said, right? Which almost sounds like an accusation. Who said that every wish would be heard and answered when, when wished on a morning star? Where the first question is why? Why are there so many songs about rainbows? We are now personalizing the question, right? Who said that every wish? So we've, we've passed from a, a human quandary of why something is and now we're moving into who is responsible for it, which I find very interesting. And it's a trend throughout the song that it slowly gets more personal and becomes um, a progression of questions leading to a more complex thought. You could even argue that from a Christian perspective, this is one step closer to truth, right? Um, anybody can ask why things exist, why the universe is the way it is, and that's the first step on a journey. But if ultimately we believe that the truth is God, a personal God in Christ, then it makes sense that the next question that Kermit would ask would be who is responsible, again, personalizing this entity. Also, like rainbows, stars are loaded with meaning. Wishing on a star is a modern myth, like songs about rainbows, right? Uh, songs about rainbows calls up to mind uh, Somewhere Over the Rainbow from The Wizard of Oz, where wishing on a star would instantly call to mind in most people um, when you wish upon a star from Disney's P Pinocchio. Interestingly, these are both not just fantasy films, but also have a very strong hero's journey as well, um, which brings in elements of travel, forward momentum, and ultimately change, which we'll see later on as well. You could argue, from the f way that this first question is phrased, that there is... It's implying that potentially there's a lie behind it all, right? Who said that every wish could be heard, uh, would be heard and answered when wished on a star? And then the next line supports this. Somebody thought of that and someone believed it. Well, look what it's done so far. Admittedly, this is ambiguous. Look what it's done so far. It could be taken in a negative way. Um, it could be taken in a positive way. They could be saying the fact that people believed in this concept that somebody is wishing upon a star led to a lot of positive things in humanity. Religion has, has provided a lot of great things for us. There's also the counter-argument that... Um, look what it's done so far has an element of cynicism to it again, you know. Um, bigotry and war are, are often coupled with uh, religious activity. Um, again, leading to this idea that the second set of verses has a more cynical tone. Um, it ultimately, it doesn't tell us. It leaves that section a little bit ambiguous, but the following line... Um, uh, adds a little clarity as well. The final line of the second set of verses is, what's so amazing that keeps us stargazing and what do we think we might see? If the questions posed in the first section of verses brought about a sense of hope, when you look at the second set of verses, it really brings us into a down point of sorts, right? Um, these questions are not being followed up by declarations of faith. They say it's false. I know that there's actually truth. These are simply just questions by themselves with no potential answer given, um, which leads directly into the bridge, <coughs> which in modern versions of the song is when both voices come together and blend together as one voice, which I think is notable. And uh, the line that leads us into that section of the song is, 
all of us under its spell, we know that it's probably magic. And this line is beautiful in its simplicity because if you look at this song as balancing um, <clears throat> assurance and doubt, then what you have here is both of these in a single sentence, right? All of us under its spell, we know, we know absolutely that it's probably magic. <laughs> the way that he weaves together um, such kind of wishy-washy terminology with such a strong statement is, is kind of ingenious to me. You could argue, as my mom probably would have back in the day, that this is not so much leaning towards a Christian mindset as it is leaning towards an agnostic mindset, right? This, I have talked to a lot of agnostics that can be very, very passionate about this idea that we keep ourselves open to the possibility of something, right? So, um, but yet they are unwilling to commit kind of either way. And I think to a lot of modern Christians, this is troubling. I'm not arguing that there is not ultimate truth, but we do seem to live in an age of religious certainty where our political affiliations, our entertainment choices, what we purchase on a daily basis can have a specific moral weight that we are told falls somewhere on a black and white spectrum of good and bad. Everyone seems to be very polarized. Everyone seems to be very adamant that their opinion is correct and their interpretation of scripture is correct. I once heard a Christian rock band proclaim from the stage, we know that, Christ is, that if Christ was here today, he would be wearing one of our t-shirts. Um, and to a certain degree, I mean, this is supported, right? Like 2 Corinthians 5.7 says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. So blind faith is important, but I also think it's important to remember that a healthy dose of questioning and arguably doubt has been a part of Christianity from the start. Um, I always go back to Christ in Gethsemane through his prayers, which culminated in him crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me when he's on the cross? I am not trying to put the existential quandaries of a pop song at the level of the suffering of our Lord, but I still think that it is... It is notable that there is a connection there, albeit to vastly different degrees. We seem to live in a world where certainty is a prerequisite to faith. And I think that that's a very troubling contradiction. And I think it's something that this song tackles in a beautiful way. Finally, we have the last set of verses. Again, this is where both vo- in modern versions where both voices have come together. And the first line of this last section is, have you been half asleep and have you heard voices? I've heard them calling my name. Again, this third section of the song starts off um, <clears throat> with a mythic notion. It references a call and it's a personal call. Someone is calling my name. It's not a generic call to adventure and duty and transformation. This voice knows him by name, um, which is something we would be familiar with from Scripture. Moses, Samuel, Abraham were all called by their name. And I believe Samuel was in his sleep as well. Um, Interestingly enough, they all answered the same thing. Here I am. The next line of the song is, referring to the voice calling his name, says, "This is, is this the sweet sound that called the young sailors? 
the voice might be one and the same. Again, we see the call to adventure, this time to the sea, like Jonah. It's another mythic notion. I think that we can, you can see at this point that the rainbow connection, as William calls it, is not a static concept. It's an entity. It's a voice. It's a present presence. And it's reaching out to him. It's not just something that he's seen and observed and wants to go to. It is now reaching back to him and pulling him forward. The next line of the song is, I've heard it, and this is the last line of the song, I've heard it too many times to ignore it. It's something that I'm supposed to be. And it's this final line that I think introduces the idea of repetition and transformation. To a certain degree, it seems confessional. I've heard it too many times to ignore it implies that he has been ignoring it, right? This is not the first time that it's happened. It's something that he has been, the the songwriter has been dwelling with and and aware of for a while and is only now really giving his attention to it. And the final words say, it's something that I am supposed to be, which strikes, I think, at the heart of Christianity. It hints at duty and responsibility and at the transformative power of Christ's love. Um... That notion reminds me of one of my favorite stories. I, I struggle a lot with a lot of missionary stories. Um, I was raised with a gentleman who was born in Africa and saw a lot of Christian missionaries do a lot of damage. And so I'm, for a long time, I was very cynical towards missionary work. Um, and one of the guys that kind of helped me wrap my head around that was a guy named Bruce Olson. Not somebody that I've met. I've just read his works. Um, Bruce Olson was a... Um, a kid at the time. He left America in the 60s and uh, went to South America with just the change in his pocket. And he ended up staying his, the entire rest of his adult life. While he was there, he learned about a tribe called the Motolone, which uh, lived on the border of Venezuela and Colombia, which I think were completely unreached or relatively unreached by people in the outside world. Through a long series of events, he ended up living with them and one of the things that he noticed about their culture that he found deeply troubling <coughs> was that even though it was a small community um, with many small huts in a small area, the huts sometimes just being a matter of a few feet apart, the way that their culture worked was that the, the head of each household, the male head of each household, did the hunting and only took care of that household. And the problem with this is, what if he gets sick? What if he dies? And in one instance that Bruce Olson witnessed, that had happened, and the family was literally starving to death, were literally lying on the ground outside of their hut, emaciated and dying. Um, And he actually witnessed somebody come out of the hut next door with food that they had not consumed. And rather than give it to these people, they actually walked away, away from the village into the jungle to discard of it so that the wild animals would eat it and not come near the village. He found this incredibly disturbing, and when he brought it up to them, it was simply a, 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 there was just a, a, a gap of understanding between the cultures. Um, later on, through a whole other series of events that I can't, unfortunately can't go into here, but they're pretty incredible, um, a single man in the tribe became a Christian and seemed to be saved. And within a 48-hour period, it spread through the entire village, and the entire village claim to be saved. Um, 
Bruce Olson was raised in a very kind of stodgy, I, don't, I think it was Lutheran or something, in a very kind of old-fashioned denomination. Um, and so he immediately questioned it. <laughs> he immediately said, there's no way this is true. They haven't le- learned the things. I haven't translated any of the scripture for them yet. There's no way that this is, it's, it's this new exciting thing. They say that they're saved. There's no way that they're actually saved. Um, and within a matter of hours, um, he witnessed um, other people from different huts all descending on this house where this family was starving and feeding them and, and bringing them back to health which kind of put him in his place because <laughs> he realized that the, the Holy Spirit had, in a matter of hours, managed to undo a behavior which had been um, prevalent in their society for God knows how many years, hundreds of years. I think that oftentimes we... Th- kind of look for verifiable, undeniable proof of God. Um, And I think that this song is hitting on that, looking for it. And yet we often look in the wrong places or we fail to realize proof when we see it. The healing and restorative power of the gospel cannot be categorized or synthesized, but it can most definitely be experienced. Um, Another anecdote is that I, I recently was talking to a conservative Christian about our next door neighbor who works at JPL. And one of the projects she was working on was a telescope that can see incredibly far. And when you are looking at light from stars very, very far away, the farther you can see, uh, literally the farther back in time you're seeing. You're looking at younger and younger light. And the whole point was to observe the Big Bang. I found this incredible and this is such a cool thing that she was working on this. And the person said to me, oh, that's really cool. And then she kind of said, kind of in a snarky way, maybe she'll see God. <laughs> and, and, and I, you know, I understand that sentiment. And at the time, I didn't really have a response. Um, but as I've thought about it since then, and actually as I was working on this sermon, I realized that a proper response could actually be, she did see God. She saw the stars. Right? The truth of God and therefore the truth of Christ is all around us. It's not just in the rainbows. It's in unsolicited kindness. It's in sacrifice, something I experienced this week through my friends. And it's in this deep human desire to create art and explore space. And I think in this sense, the chorus of William's song is a bit sad because he's saying someday we'll find it, right? The rainbow connection, we'll find it. But what I think he may not have realized is that if he's already searching, he's already found it. If he knows what he's looking for, it's already right there. It's not something that will be found in the future. The simple fact that he feels a need in his life, or arguably Kermit finds it has a need in his life, is evidence of the fact that God is there. Otherwise, the need wouldn't be there. Um, I tend to be really into this stuff. I love, I love music from this time period. I tend to be a little hippie-ish in my philosophy at times. Um, and I love this song so much. And uh, one of the verses that popped to mind, obviously, when I was researching this song, given the fact that it starts off with a character having spiritual quandaries in regards to nature, was, of course, Romans one twenty. right? It's like the go-to verse for this, because it's Paul saying, hey, there should be evidence of God. You should know God is real simply by looking at creation. So... 
of course I read that verse and I'll read it again here. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. And um, because Paul is a really smart guy, <laughs> I kept reading and um, of course was frustrated because I had, because Paul also tends to be a downer. Um, because if you read past that, the next section really calls into question some of the beautiful notions that are expressed in this particular song. If you read uh, verses uh, 21 through 25, it goes a slightly different route with the Apostle Paul. He says, when speaking about being aware of God through creation, he says, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give him thanks but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Obviously, he's referencing back to particular instances of actually creating idols and, and, and things like that. But on a, in a greater sense, I found that... I wouldn't say it goes so far as to say that this pricked my conscience, but it really did give me pause to reevaluate this entire song that I had spent the bulk of the week dissecting, because you could argue that the lyrics of the song, because they stop at a certain point, right? They acknowledge the beauty of nature. They acknowledge that there is something powerful and potentially bigger beyond it. But that's as far as it goes. It kind of cuts off right there. And that reminds me of some of these things that Paul talks about here, right? Um, worshiping the creation instead of the creator. And going back to the first part of this, this talk, maybe that is the divide, right? Maybe that is deep down why my, my mother was bothered by this song is because, yes, it isn't Christian. It doesn't go far enough. It doesn't... It, the questions that it leaves unanswered are too important to leave unanswered and it is potentially worshipping the beauty of creation without understanding that the creator is actually more important. But because this song is about point-counterpoint, I would make another argument in the defense of Paul Williams in regards to my mom's attack. Um, maybe a stretch, but bear with me. You'll notice that in the chorus, which is the, the last thing that's said in the song, it's not that he or that a single person will find it, will find this so-called rainbow connection. He says, we will, we'll find it, which hints at the idea of community. That's about as far as you can take it in this song, but keeping in mind that this song was written as a series of songs for a movie, if you look later in the movie, there's actually a song that Paul Williams also wrote titled, I'm going to go back there someday. It's sung by the character Gonzo, who's normally a character who's full of joy, it's sung at the down point of the film. Their van has broken down. They're trapped in the desert. 
They're not going to make it to L.A. to meet the deadline. Things look bad. And Gonzo starts reflecting on a time earlier in the story when he had been clinging to these balloons 30 feet in the air. How he just wishes that he could go back there. And as he's pondering this kind of spiritual experience that he had when he was clinging to these balloons, his thoughts lead to this ultimate conclusion and the song culminates in a particular line. This seemingly comes out of nowhere, but it comes as Gonzo is looking around the campfire, looking at the other characters around the campfire. And the song ends this way. There's not a word yet for old friends who've just met. Part heaven, part space, or have I found my place? You can just visit, but I plan to stay. I'm going to go back there someday. The part that grabbed my attention was the beautiful description of friendship the connection of those people around you where, you where you share an intimate and immediate connection, even with people that you don't know that well. Um, if you're familiar with the works of Jim Henson, this is not accidental and this is not arbitrary. This is through everything that he ever did. It's through the Muppet movie. It's through the Muppet caper where Kermit figures that he can only stop the criminal by using all the crazy people that have been annoying him the whole movie. Um, it, you see it in the Muppets Take Manhattan where Kermit can't figure out how to fix his play until he realizes it's through the help of his friends. You see it in Fraggle Rock, which is about all of these individual people banding together to fight or to kind of deal with these greater issues. And that's a show that Jim Henson actually claimed he created to try and help create world peace. This is something that's very important to his entire works. And I actually wonder if it's finally getting at the missing piece. Because if we can find proof of God through the glory of nature, how do we find proof of his personal relationship with us, if not through community? Um, Because I'm the king of anecdotes, I'm going to give you two more. We're almost done, I promise. I'm very sorry. I know this is long. Um, The first is a personal one. I'm going to tell a story about Laura because she's not here. Um, When we were dating, one one of the things that really made me fall in love with her Um, was this particular story that she told. Uh, Laura was kind of raised between denominations. One parent was one, one parent was the other. So when she got to college and was dealing with who she was, which is what you do in college, she had this moment where she was on campus. And if you know Laura, she's... Everybody knows Laura. She's an incredible people person. And she was standing in the middle of campus. Class had let out. She was surrounded by people. And she was looking at... All these people that they knew, people that she didn't know, and she was struck with this epiphany. And the epiphany was this. If we are made in the image of God and we are all so different, then maybe the best way, while we're on earth at least, to ever really come close to an understanding of who God is, is by looking at every single person that we can and knowing every single person that we can and understanding who they are. Because maybe then you can create a mosaic that starts to really help you understand who God is found this a really powerful concept. Um, um, I've also heard this expressed another way. Um, of course, it's from a movie because I'm obsessed with movies. Um, there's a movie where Paul Giamatti um, uh, plays this character who finds out that he's the only one that can help save this mythical creature. And the only way that he can do it is by dealing with these deep fears that he, have, that he has uh, because his family died. 
And in this moment in the movie, he is watching this creature die. He's haunted by his past failings and the loss of his family that he no longer has. And he's surrounded by this group of weirdos that have gathered around him to help him. And he looks at their faces and he ponders his lost family. And he says to them very simply and very powerfully, I love your faces. They remind me of God. That particular movie is considered a terrible movie, and it is pretty bad. I have found that despite the quality of that film, that moment has stuck with me for years. It is such a simple statement, but I find it to be very profound. My final... So I think that's where I would end it in terms of defending a a secular humanist song um, (laughs) to my mother in 1980 is that, yes, it may not come to the ultimate answers. It may not come to what we would consider the ultimate truth, right? The final piece of thing that we need to, to find salvation. But I know that Laura and I have often talked about this, and that is that we would be nothing without the people around us. And it's, and it's really interesting that... Um, that I chose to talk about this and kind of came to this realization this week above all weeks because as I said during the prayer request um, I, I flat out would not have survived this week if I had not been through my friends and I did not and even though we're talking about like physically being helped in a time of need I wouldn't have had the friends that I have and I would not have known you people um, if I hadn't been open. I mean, if you know my history with church, I never thought I would set foot in a church again. So the fact that I was even in a traditional church um, at all was a big step for me. And if I had not opened myself up to another concept, I wouldn't even be here and know the people that I know. I would not have helped, maybe gotten the help that I needed. Um, and I think that that is the final thing that I would say, is while the song may not contain ultimate truth, it does contain truth. And if we're ever in this lifetime before we are beyond the veil, to have a rounded understanding of God is. It is going to be by listening to as many people as possible, whether they be Christian or non, trying to understand how they see the world and letting that affect us and letting that change us and opening ourselves up to what people have to say. Um, That's it. Um, I'll pray and then you want to come up? All right. Lord, thank you for the people around us. Thank you for the fact that we come here week after week for community to talk about you, to understand you, and to find out who you are. Um, And I would pray that even though we live in a culture where we are told to believe one single thing and cling to it our entire lives, that we would open ourselves up to particularly the Christians around us with differing viewpoints and different backgrounds and different cultures and let who they are as children of you affect us and help us grow ever closer to um, being what you want us to be. Amen.